Hey everybody, it's Sunday, March 2nd, 2014. Hope you're having a great day. And it's hard to believe that this is March already. Crazy how fast time flies. It feels like it was just January, the new year a couple of weeks ago. And we're almost, you know, halfway into 2014 in a couple of months. So today we're going to talk about a concept called milkshake marketing. And it comes from an article that Professor Clay Christensen wrote. He's the author of a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. He also lectures at Harvard Business School. And so I took a clip off YouTube where he kind of goes over this concept. And we're going to go over the topic topics, ideas, and discuss it with Damien Thompson over at lynchpin.net. And it's interesting, the whole methodology of how he came up with this concept is really awesome, different than the traditional kind of customer avatar that we always talk about in the marketing speak. So before we start, some news and updates, a couple articles I want to flag to you guys that I thought were really cool. Uh, Neil Patel over at quicksprout.com. I had two articles come out. I think they've been out for a while, but he basically he resent them to his email list. One is called Double Your Traffic in 30 Days. And the other one is double your conversions in 30 days. And these are very big articles, probably 30, 40,000 word articles with you know images, charts, tables. And they actually give a very good roadmap on how everything works for an e-commerce store or info product or anything. So I'll link to these show notes. This is episode 88, very good article. You should check it out. Uh, I've definitely saved it to my Evernote and will be following this for myself at uh, ballerleather.com. Right, and so before we get into today's episode, here is the clip I talked about with Clay Christensen. So let me start with a silly example of milkshakes. One of the big fast food restaurant companies was trying to goose up the sales of its milkshake product line. They segmented their markets first by product category. You had the, meal, the um, main meals over here and then they had the desserts over here that were categorized by product. They could tell you exactly how many milkshakes were sold by McDonald's, Burger King's, Wendy's and so on. Then they also segmented their markets by demographic. So they could give you a demographic profile of the people that were most likely to buy it. They even had psychographic profiles of these people. So they would invite people who fit those profiles into conference rooms and say, could you tell us what we could do to to our milkshake that would cause you to buy more of them? Do you want it chocolatier, creamier, chunkier, chewier, cheaper? And they get very good feedback. They would then improve the product and it never had any impact on sales or profitability whatsoever. So one of our colleagues went in and just stood in one of their restaurants for 18 hours with the question on his mind, gosh, I wonder what job people hire a milkshake to do for them. So he took very careful data on when did they buy it? What were they wearing? Were they alone or with a group of people? Did they buy a meal with the milkshake or just the milkshake? Did they eat it in the restaurant? Did they leave? It turned out that nearly half of the milkshakes were sold in the very early morning. It was the only thing they bought. They were always alone and they always got in the car and drove off with it. So the next morning he comes back and he confronts these people as they're leaving the restaurant <laughs> with the milkshake in hand and he asks them, excuse me please, but could you tell me what job you were trying to get done for yourself when you came here to hire this milkshake? As they would struggle to answer, he'd say, well, think about when you're in the same situation, needing to get the same thing done, but you didn't come here to hire a milkshake. And it turned out that they all had a similar job. That was they had a very long and very boring commute to work. They just needed something to do while they were driving. One hand had to be on the wheel, but God had given them this extra cup holder. <laughs> And they just needed to keep busy. They weren't hungry yet, but they knew they'd be hungry by 10 o'clock. So they wanted something that would just thunk down in their stomach and stay for a while. So what do I hire when I got this job to do? Well, 
Come to think of it, I hired a banana last Friday, but it didn't do the job well at all. It was gone in two minutes, I was hungry by 7.30, and yeah, I guess I hired donuts on occasion, but they get my fingers sticky, it gets the steering wheel gooey, and I hire bagels, but they're dry, tasteless, crumb all over my clothes. If I put cream cheese or jam on them, then I gotta steer with my knees, and then if the phone rings, that's a problem. And I remember once I hired a Snickers bar, but it made me feel so guilty I never hired one again. <laughs> but let me tell you, when I hire one of these milkshakes, it is so viscous that it easily takes me 20 minutes to suck it up that thin little straw. I have no idea what the, what the components of it are, the ingredients, but I do know I'm still full at 10 o'clock, and it fits right in that cup holder. And it turns out that the milkshake does the job better than any of the competitors. The competitors are not Burger King milkshakes, but bananas, donuts, bagels, Snickers bars. And very importantly, the milkshake is competing against boredom. Because it's so inconvenient to find your way to that restaurant, and then you've got to wait in the drive through lane or the, the line inside to get it, that a lot of times they just drive to work bored out of their tree. Right, and that's it. So hopefully you paid attention to the whole three or four minutes. But otherwise, Damien and I will kind of recap what happened there too. And we'll go into some more detail on what that means for us as e-commerce store owners and marketers. Hope you guys enjoy. Don't deliver a product, deliver an experience. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and I'm your host, Terry Lin. We're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com. Let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Today, I've got my friend Damien Thompson back on the show, and we're going to talk about milkshake marketing. So, Damien, what's going on, man? Hey, Terry. How you doing? All right. So, you sent me an article, or I guess to the DC and the forums uh, a couple months ago called Milkshake Marketing. So, what was this article about? So yeah, it's, it's by a guy named Clay Christensen. Uh, he's a Harvard Business uh, School marketing muckety muck, you know, kind of a big, you know, big deal there. And I'd read, I'd read about it years ago, a couple years ago, I guess, and then just kind of got reintroduced to it because there's a YouTube video, and it's fascinating. And what it is, he tells the story of understanding what is the job to be done, or you know, the, most marketers get marketing wrong because we have these kind of ideas around features and benefits. And, and even if you go past the kind of, you know, the idea was to move from just features, right? So it does this and it does it this way, it does this way to move towards benefits of it does it this way. And that helps you in this way. We're thinking that's still too limiting and we're still missing the point of, of what most things do. Uh, most products have a job that they, that they consider. And so he tells a story about he was working for a large, you know, fast food company. I'm going to guess it's McDonald's. I think it's, I think it's been leaked that it's McDonald's. Uh, and they were trying to figure out, they were trying to increase sales of milkshakes. So they'd taken all the data and, you know, being a good Harvard Business Review kind of MBAs, they, they poured over all the data and looked at side-by-side analyses and then all of these kind of, run all these kind of quantum mechanical tests and everything and couldn't figure anything out. They couldn't figure out what was happening. So instead what they did is they took like 100 people and put them inside McDonald's, and they stood there, and they just kind of, over like an 18-hour period, they just took a bunch of notes and asked a bunch of questions. And essentially what they found out was, is that 50% of all milkshakes were sold before 8 a.m. in the morning. And they couldn't figure out what it was, and so they just started asking people. And they started saying, you know, when you're buying this milkshake, you know, why are you buying it, and what are you doing, and you know, you know are you, do you really want dessert at, at 7 o'clock in the morning? And what they figured out was, is people weren't buying the milkshake as a dessert. 
They weren't buying the milkshake as a way to finish off their meal. They were buying the milkshake and the milkshake only. It was the only thing they were buying. During the analysis of all this, they figured out what's happening was people on their commute wanted something to eat that was easy to eat while driving. Food's not easy to eat while driving. So this was, and milkshakes had the kind of perfect balance of they were thick enough to be a food, but easy enough to drink with a straw. And so they kind of had met all this criteria to solve this problem or the job it was doing was, was giving people, you know, a couple hundred calories during their commute that was easy to consume. Yeah. And I think one thing they brought up was that uh, they asked people, you know, would you get a bagel to eat while driving? Well, it's hard because the cream cheese gets all over the place. You know, crumbs got fall on your pants and then a banana doesn't keep you full enough. And then like a Snickers bar is unhealthy. So it was kind of interesting how it wasn't just the same products that were competing against each other. Like say like a Burger King milkshake versus a Wendy's milkshake and a McDonald's milkshake. It's actually like there's all these other fruits and like stuff you can eat too, which is kind of a fascinating point that I found reading this. I totally agree. And I think it's one of the things, it's one of the lessons I learned in sales early. And it, yeah, I think this, this applies. And you know, it's funny that marketing and sales have these kind of ivory towers built around them. And they don't like to talk to each other, but they're, they're absolutely interrelated disciplines. And one of the things you learn in kind of direct selling is, is that your biggest competitor is not your competitor. Your biggest competitor is status quo. Right? Your biggest competitor is do nothing, right? Make no change whatsoever. So you've got the greatest widget of all time. You're not competing against other widgets. You're competing against them doing it the way they've always done it with paper clips and rubber bands or whatever they've done, right? So and it's the same in marketing. Your competition is not your closest two or three competitors. Your competition is them not changing anything at all or doing something totally different that you don't understand. So getting a better understanding of what the problem they're trying to solve is, is more important than you trying to figure out how you can position your, hey, we're 12% more tastier than Burger King or, you know, or 9% cheaper than KFC. That's not your real problem. Your real problem is, is they're going to, you're competing with Starbucks Frappuccinos or something similar because, or like you said, a banana or a Snickers bar or whatever that happens to be. And, but it all comes down to one understanding you know, what, what job you're doing, what understanding what, what problem you're solving. But that comes from this basis of, I love to say this, you know, stop guessing and start asking. You know, we all, we all love to guess why our customers do things. We all guess why they bought that. Or we guess why the hoodie in red is outselling the blue hoodie three to one. Well, stop guessing, just start asking them. You know, I mean, we've got wonderful technology now. Email is an amazing tool. You know, if you want to figure out why no one bought your winter gear on your e-commerce site, but everyone loves your Thanksgiving promotion, ask them, right? Ask them, hey, Bob, really appreciate the fact that you bought X. We thought we were going to sell a lot of Y. Can I just ask you real quick in one, in one sentence or less, you know, why you bought X over Y? Boom. Just ask the question. Yeah. You know what I realized looking at this article is that, well, I guess it's counterintuitive to whole marketing thing of like identifying your customer by demographics, right? Like say age group, education. But he was saying in the article, you know, demographics don't cause people to buy. It's because people have a situation they need to buy. So he's, I think he was saying how when a guy takes a girl out to a nice date and they have a pizza, uh, on Monday, but then Tuesday, they sit in, they get a DVD, Netflix, and they order a pizza for takeout. It's like the same pizza, but the situation's different too. Yeah, and I think um, th that's a great point. I think the other thing is, is we get too caught up on, you know, I'm a big, I'm a marketer, so I'm a big fan of personas and creating avatars and trying to visualize your perfect customer. Um, but I tell customers when we go through this now is don't worry about demographics so much because it really doesn't matter. Does it really matter whether you're a 25-year-old man or a 40-year-old man, whether you're single or married? Not really. What we're looking for is we're looking for the psychographics. So why are they buying? The why is more important than the what or the who, especially with a distributed medium like the internet. Like demographics meant a lot more 
when I had to put pl- place a store somewhere. So then it mattered. I needed to know that 32-year-old housewives were my greatest customer because then what I was looking for, I was looking for a big assortment of a cluster of 32-year-old housewives. So then I had to go build a physical store somewhere. Now that I have to build a physical store, that demographic data doesn't matter so much anymore. Right? My, my audience is anybody with a computer, anybody with a mobile phone with internet on it. Right? So it's more about why do they buy, getting better, getting better understanding of what is the job that the, your product is doing and what is their intrinsic motivation. You know, what is that, why do they want to get? What is, what is the value you're giving them? And, and what, what do they foresee to be the, the value of working with you or, or buying your product? Yeah, it's kind of like if you look at this podcast or what I do, kind of in the e-commerce space, is that there's a lot of ways to make money online, right? Kind of like you can do like what you're doing, services, or you can write eBooks, or you can write autoresponders like our friend John McIntyre, or you can do like a physical product store, right? So really, like when you talk about the situation that, you know, the listener, you are trying to get is really, you know, you're trying to find a way to make money online, have a living, but, you know, e-commerce is just one thing you can choose and you can choose everything else it's kind of like starbucks a banana apple as if you were eating something too yeah and you're always gonna get it wrong you know it's i, I laugh at myself a lot these days i like to think i'm a, a relatively smart guy but every time i try to narrow down my, my ideal customer into a market segment i'm wrong but i look at my business you know the job that i do is is i help them get value out of market automation tools like infusionsoft or office autopilot without having to become experts. So I give them, a, it's a time value, right? So I'm, I give them more hours in the day. That's what I do. So really that doesn't matter whether they're a software company or a services company or an e-commerce company, whatever it is, if they want to spend more time, if they value their time in their business or, or learning more to become experts in their field, more than learning how to use a software tool to sell more, then that's a good customer for me. And every time I try to narrow it down and say, okay, well, I'm going to deal with service professionals, you know, lawyers and doctors and accountants, then I have a software company, an e-commerce company say, hey, can you come do it for us? And this is the value we see. Because if, if you're doing this for us, we can actually be, we can stay on top of the trends in our, you know, in our you know, clothing manufacturer, or we can work more on our software rather than work on someone else's software. So again, you're right. I think it's more about the situation they're in, the value in the service or the product you're delivering to them is far more valuable than their personal demographics or even what market they're in. Yeah, like if we go back to your example, you help people with Office Autopilot and Fusion stuff. These are like hardcore kind of email marketing tools, right? And I think, I'm, I'm guessing that most people, they know they need to switch, but once they switch, there's this huge ramp up they need to get, get up and running, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, essentially, the, 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 your average user of both those tools would be someone that was using like AWeber or MailChimp or using, you know, a, a mail tool, you know, has a, a decent sized list, you know, is making some money because, I mean, these, these aren't cheap. You know, they're about 300 bucks a month, both of the tools. That's just the software cost. It's not even us, right? So, it's someone that knows they should be getting more out of it. So, they want to start segmenting their list. But again, they want to segment their list not on demographics, but on like buying behavior. So when you want to start doing clever things like saying, okay, I know they bought product A and product C, but they haven't brought product B. Let's give them a special campaign about why product B fits perfectly with product A and product C. Or, you know, hey, they usually buy every 90 days. They haven't bought for 180. Let's trigger a campaign. So it's basically it's automating a lot of the selling process or the marketing process, as well as adding in some kind of you know, customer relationship management, some CRM in there. So taking a moving people from a kind of a list-based view to a, an individual contact view. So yes, there is definitely, it's a new it's software. It's, you know, it's learning it. I mean, it's, it's not the most intuitive software to begin with anyway, but even if it was, you've got to learn a brand new tool and it comes down to a value for time thing. You know, do you want to spend a hundred hours over the next two or three months learning how to use this tool effectively or would you rather just hire someone to do it for you? And for some people, it makes sense to learn to do the tool. And for some people, it doesn't. So that's a great example in my business. It's not so much 
what market you're in, generally it's kind of where you are. So if you're making, you know, if you're making hundred grand or more a year in revenue, then you start valuing your time differently, right? So then it's like you don't want it that hundred hours of time to learn a new software tool. When you're new, you've got nothing but time, right? So you can do it, but it's a weird just position in our business because if you're brand new, you're probably not plopping down three hundred bucks a month for a you know an email automation tool. Yeah, exactly. Now one thing that going back to the articles that was interesting was that as he goes deeper into this uh, hiring products for jobs, is that. He talks about positioning, the positioning paradigm of your products when you take this uh, context. So I, th- I think his example was like cars. Uh, so most cars compete on say, hey, we have miles per gallon, uh, 20 miles per gallon. This guy has 25, so we're better. We have better brakes. But, but it's not really differentiated because everyone's just copying it rather than if you take it from a jobs perspective where say I'm a commuter, I value you know, my iPhone charger in the car, a bigger screen, the GPS, or like electrical sockets to put my laptop in and my phone and all this stuff too. So like, how do you look at this from your perspective? Yeah, this is great. So I mean, you know, one of the things I, I like about the whole kind of the milkshake marketing thing, so there's a, there's a movement that's happened under this. And there's the, the kind of the big one is the jobstobedone.org. Um, and so these guys, are, they do some really cool stuff. So uh, they have a, a job to be done radio. So if anyone's interested, they should really listen to it. It's a podcast. But it's fascinating. They were talking to um, Jason Fried. Yeah, Jason Fried. He's on a couple of these, which is fascinating. So what they did was they took Basecamp and tried to figure out, you know, what is the job that Basecamp is really doing? And they do these kind of interview sessions where they interview p- customers and potential customers about why they switch or why they would switch. And it's just some fascinating stuff to kind of look into the buyer psychology about why people change, like why people change the solution they're in. Because even if you're selling something brand new, your competitor is not your competitor. Your competitor is them not buying at all. So anytime someone buys something from you, they're making a change to their their business or their personal life, right? They're making a change. So a deep diving a little bit about understanding why this works, I I think is, is fascinating stuff. Like, like all good Harvard business kind of MBA, you can deep dive on this and make it really academic and make it too, and go too deep. Overall, the idea of thinking about why do people do what they do is a fundamental question you should be asking in your marketing. People buy emotionally. Then they, you know, then they justify it intellectually. The problem is, is you really, and you can call a bunch of different things and you know, there's that great kind of art of the pitch and all kinds of stuff. You've got to get past that person's crocodile brain, right? And the way you get past the crocodile brain is, is to be emotional, you know, fight or flight or, you know, intrigue. You know, you've got to, you've got to get something that passes past. And the problem is we don't start there. We usually start with data, facts and figures and, and nobody buys that way. Like nobody cares that you're a Roomba is 27% more effective than a traditional vacuum cleaner, or you can save three hours a week doing it. No one really cares about that, right? What they care about is, is that if the Roomba's doing the job for you, what can you spend those three hours on, right? So now you say, that's three hours to watch, that's a football game on Sunday, or that's, you know, extra two frames of your bowling league or whatever. And starting to frame up your benefits as a way of what job is it doing for them? Like, what are you, what are you replacing in their life? So they can get better, have a better life, be more emotional, like tag into people why they buy. And I think that's the powerful thing here is, you know, understanding your customers and none of us understand our customers enough. We can always understand them better. Um, it becomes whatever, for whatever reason, a, a scary thing. I, I have some clients I love and it's funny, always fun watching the spectrum go from really afraid to ask these questions to their customers because they're afraid they're going to get bad news. You know, so it's kind of one of those things like, you know, I don't want to ask my customers because I'm afraid they might say bad things to finally seeing value in it and saying, hey, even the people that give me bad news, that's an opportunity for me to learn, an opportunity for me to make it better. 
right? And, and it's, it's amazing that once they kind of embrace this, you know, I want feedback. I really want to understand how I'm doing. I, I look, you know, I'll blame myself here. My, the big switch for me in my business, you know, I left a big corporate career behind, and then I got into entrepreneurship a couple of years ago. And when I first became like a solo entrepreneur, you know, I struggled a lot with a lot of things. So I didn't have like a support mechanism. I didn't have support teams. And each new client was such a big piece of my business, a big piece of my personal revenue, like how I was putting food on the table. I was afraid to get bad news. So I wasn't asking these tougher questions. Something I've been doing for years, I wasn't doing because I didn't want to get bad news. And, and finally, when I got over myself and started realizing that I was going to lose them eventually if I didn't do a better job uh, and start asking these questions, you know, generally only good things that you, you are painting a, a gloomier picture than your customers generally will, right? You, you are seeing everything you're missing. Because again, it's one of those, they don't know what they don't know yet. To start positively, start with something like this. You start with, don't be like, hey, what can I do better? Or, hey, where do I suck? Or are those, I think those are great, powerful questions. But more like, you know, hey, before you worked with us or before you bought this widget, how did you solve this problem? What, sol- what problem are we actually solving for you? When you buy this can opener, you know, and it's, it sounds silly. Like, you know, well, what do you mean? What problem? You're opening a can for me. Okay, great. But how do you used to open a can? Well, I use my lighter, right? Or I grab the wine, the wine bottle opener in the, in the shelf. Okay, great. Well, why is it better for you to have this on your key ring rather than to have to go to the shelf? Well, it does this. And, you know, and, and it sounds silly, but the deeper you go with it, you know, the more you'll realize that really the, the problem you're solving is, is you're letting them get refreshment faster, right? Um, or, you know, or whatever that happens to be. Yeah, like you'll never sit around the house and not being able to open your beer or something like that. <laughs> right, right. I don't, to, <laughs> I don't have to get off my fat ass when I'm watching football and go to the cabinet. I want to go sit down on the couch and keep drinking. So. Yeah, exactly. It, it, but I think the, another key point is that when you have these conversations, you can avoid making features or new products that no one really cares about too, which is kind of the big takeaway I got. Because like, you're saying how the car industry always adds these features, but then consumers end up not valuing it. And it's actually easy to copy when it's just a feature, but it's actually not even what the customer wants in a situation when he's using your product. I totally agree. I, I think, you know, I think a lot of good software is doing this these days. You know, I think it, it's inherently doing this whether they realize it or not. So I think, you know, this idea of, you know, the kind of lean startup methodology of shipping kind of, you know, what we would have called maybe features 10 years ago as full-fledged products, right, is, is, a, is a great way of doing this because that feature solves a real problem, right? There's, that does one thing, right? We do surveys or we do email or we do this. Whereas 10 years ago, it would have been like, okay, we're going to be your office in the cloud, right? We're going to do this and this and we're going to calendar and we're going to email and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this. And you find out that, uh, perfect example, 37 signals. Let's go back to them. So 37 Signals in this last week has announced that they're changing the company name to Basecamp and getting rid of all the products but Basecamp. That's fascinating to me. And I'm, I, would be, I would be shocked. I would bet you a million dollars part of it is from their work they've done with this job to be done, right? Understanding that their big idea, you know, I, I interviewed David Hanson a couple weeks ago, a month, a couple months ago, and he's so honest about it. It's not just a throwaway line. He says, look, you don't have to be brilliant. I don't have to prove I'm a genius. I had my great idea. It's, I've already had it. So my job is to make that idea as good as possible for as long as possible. We get caught up in trying to have the next big idea. Well, stop having the next big idea and just make your already big idea even better. And I love that. I think that's a great example of we know that, you know, really people love us for base camp, right? People buy, you know, campfire, they buy high rise, they buy whatever, but they love us for this. So let's stop trying to do other things and let's really do this as, as good as we can. Yeah, and for those who don't know what Basecamp is, it's just like a project management software, but it's like 
Uh, I've used it once or twice. It's pretty cool. But basically, I think the brand name of Basecamp was bigger than 37 Signals almost, too. Sure. Well, I think that's that, that's a fascinating thing, too. I mean, like I, 37 Signals, even if you're not, don't care about project management software, and I don't actually don't, I don't love it. I actually use a different tool. But I love them as a company. I, I love, you know, just their philosophy. I think they embrace a lot of kind of cutting edge thinking about, you know, how to run a team. They run distributed teams, which I'm a big fan of, you know, so this idea that you don't have to have, just, just because you're in Chicago doesn't mean all your employees have to be in Chicago. You know, it's the 21st century, you know, so they did, I think they do a lot of things right. So I think they're definitely worth watching, even if you don't care about project management software. But you're right. So they built this product, and this product is what they're known for, but they had this kind of old, you know, this, the name had predated the product. The name was when they used to be a web development company. It's been a long time, but they finally realized, hey, this is stupid. You know, we're, we're, it, it'd be like Microsoft, before Microsoft became Microsoft, realizing, hey, we're really, we're Windows, right, and becoming Windows, you know. And, and there's, well, there's many people that said that Microsoft should have done that, right? Microsoft should have became Windows and Office and everything else, right? And maybe they wouldn't be in the kind of... the, the the, the predicament right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's go back into the article. So one thing he talked about towards the end, uh, the one I saw, was about actually going through the framework of finding the job of the job of your product, right? And so one thing he talked about was like uh, doing interviews, surveys, kind of what we talked about. But I realized it really just comes down to how well do you understand your customer and like empathize with what they're going through. Yeah, I think that's a great word. I think I think empathy is an awesome word there. I think that a lot of times we ask questions with an outcome in mind. And if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong, right? And I think there's, there's a, there is some art to good, to good question asking, you know. And I think that one of the things, it, it comes down to, do you, do you have empathy for your customers? Are you really trying to solve a problem? And, and if you're not, that's okay, I guess. I, I can't, can't help you there, right? If, if, you, if, if, if this is just a money play for you and it's just about grabbing market share and doing whatever, awesome. But I got to be honest with you, if that's true, they're probably not going to try any of this anyway, um, but if you truly want to get an understanding of where your customers are, where they're coming from, you know, I think you have to have empathy and try to understand, you know, what problems are you really solving? How do you afford? And, you know, it's funny if, if 10 years ago, Damien would listen to 10 years to, to modern Damien, he'd laugh at him. Say, oh, you're such a frou-frou, granola, hippie, whatever. But the reality is that's the way business is these days. So you can't, you know, we're not robots, you know, we're people and people buy from people. And people generally want to buy from people they know, like, and trust. And the way they buy from you know, like, and trusting is for you to be, you know, known, likable, and trustable, you know. And if you're not those things, it's hard for you to get that. Sure, you can fool some of the people for a while, but this is the internet, man. I mean, you, you know, you, there are no secrets, you know. So it's going to come out pretty quickly that you're, you're a scam artist. So, you know, if you can empathize with your customers and figure out, you know, what you're really, what benefit you're really adding to them, you, you want to have an understanding. That's what, you're doing this to understand. Will that understanding help you sell more? Of course it will. But the objective isn't, hey, I'm going to pick their brains so I can think of a new product to sell them. It's I'm going to pick their brains to figure out what, you know, what I'm really doing. And I think if you do that well, you will create kind of an unassailable lead. Right? You will become quintessential move from a vendor to a trusted advisor right? or from a vendor to a trusted partner. Or you know, It's why brands are brands. It's why Apple is Apple. Let's be honest here. I'm a fanboy. But the technology ain't great, you know. What I mean, like you know, there's always there's always a PC on the market that's more powerful than the Apple MacBook. There's the the iPhone is always a step behind the most recent Android. But I go with them because I buy into the overall philosophy. I buy into the design aesthetic. I buy into the idea that we want things to just work. And and so they've created that for me because they have this kind of drive to you know understand you know what 
problems they solve, what, what job is to be done. And the job they do is they take computing power and make it personal and pretty and, you know, for people that want to self-select, want to be part of a smaller tribe and, you know, all of those things. That's what it really does. It doesn't, you know, compute a teraflop of data faster or whatever. That's not what it does. So one thing before we get into this other topic is that, like when you're talking to customers, I realize that, like listening to Mitch Joel over another podcast called Six Pixels of Separation, the way he asks questions is not binary. So I, I guess like you were talking about earlier, when you're asking customers for data, when, you ask, when you're trying to look for an answer, that's how you don't want to ask. So what he does is that he actually has, I think, three types of questions. He frames them as like, so, you know, help me understand why you bought this or like, uh, tell me more about, you know, this product and why did you use it? Or, you know, how does that work uh, when you bought that? Instead of like a yes, no type of question, right? And I think when you talk to customers, whether it's you, me or the listener, like there's, there's ways you can structure the question to get more out of them. And kind of, if you just make it simple, yes, no, like you're actually limiting yourself to getting a lot of data. Yeah. Miss Joel, that's, I mean, that's one of my top five podcasts, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, he's a, he's an old school brand guy, right? I mean, he runs a brand agency and I think that you know that the good brand guys understand that a brand is a conversation and conversations aren't yes no right <laughs> if you had, if you were talking to someone at a bar and every question was yes no or every every question they asked you was leading you towards a you know, a finite binary answer you would end that conversation pretty quickly right that would be pretty boring right so <laughs> if you really want to get somewhere you understand that conversations open and they flower and they they kind of blossom into new directions and you've got to be willing to follow that new direction where it goes and not have such a tight agenda, you know. And that's it. You're not, you're not doing a survey, right? What you're doing is you're doing a, you know, a kind of a questioning exercise. And that questioning exercise should be far more open. And just to wrap things up, in the article, he actually gives you a hierarchy for a B2C level on how to find this data, like find the job your product's doing. So uh, I'll just run over those real quick. So one, he says to go over your existing customer base first, right? Like who actually bought from you. You talk to those guys, you get information from them. And then two is people who could be your customers but are buying from competitors. Uh, kind of logically, it makes sense, right? Why did they go with the competitor? You want to figure that out to see how you can change the situation for them. And then three is where he goes into disruption. And this is when non-consumers are trying to get this job done, but they don't have a good solution or they just don't know how to get it. And that's, I think, where kind of like the, it's what we call the blue ocean strategy and all that stuff too. So I mean, as we wrap up, uh, Jamie, anything more to add? Yeah, I'll just say something on that last hierarchy too. I think that's a, I think that's a great lesson about everything though. So people do, people, we question wrong. We go to our friends and our peers and all of that to ask questions. And those are the absolute wrong people to be asking. Because I'll give, I'll give anybody advice for free because it's usually worth about as much as you're paying for it. The value is people that are already paying money. Right, so people that are paying you money, th that vote should matter more. Those are people, and it's not just because it's not loyalty because they're customers. They're actually spending money in in wherever, whatever you're doing. So what they have to say should be more valuable than your buddy at the bar. I see this all the time in a lot of the forums we're in. Is that they're they're asking, "Hey, I'm thinking about this product. What do you think?" Well, that's a horrible question. That's a horrible question. You know, the question should be. Hey, Mister, already paying me money. I'm thinking about also doing this. Would you see value in that? Or hey, I'm thinking you might have this problem. Do you have this problem? Yes, I do. Great. Here are three ways I could solve it. Which way would you rather do? Like that's a meaningful conversation. But a hey, I've been thinking about doing something in this space, and I want all my friends and family and peers to give me feedback. That's a bad question to ask. Because the danger is that while they mean well, the feedback you're getting is not who is actually going to use it's your useless. product. Yeah, it's useless. Yeah. yeah, sure. It makes them feel good. makes you feel good. makes everyone feel good. And you're wasting time you know, going down a path and you find – and that's why, that's why um, you know, I would say you know, three out of five startups that fail shouldn't have failed because the reason they failed was because they built a product no one cared about. Right? They, they built a product no one was willing to pay money for. 
right? And they, they were solving a problem that wasn't really there. They didn't really know the job they were doing. They said, hey, I have this pain point. If I have this pain point, other people will have this pain point. Or hey, even worse, I found a clever way to do something. Right? I figured out a clever way to, do, to solve this and find out that it's not really a problem or the way they're solving it's not a way, it's not a meaningful way for, for customers that actually pay money. So people that pay money, people that open the wallet, their votes should matter tenfold of what your, your peers and, and everyone else gives you advice on. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Damien. So listeners, if you have a customer base, you know, email them, get on the horn with them for 10 minutes, see if they can chat with you, go over what we talked about today, ask them some questions. And, you know, and the guys that didn't buy from me, maybe see if you can see why they didn't and all that stuff. And uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Damien, where can we find you online? Uh, yeah, so I'm at uh, lynchpin.net. That's L-I-N-C-H-P-I-N.net or on Twitter at, at Damien Thompson. Awesome. All right, thanks for coming on again and we'll keep in touch. Cheers, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. If you got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.